0: We are talking uh, in this series about idols. Um, it's about hidden assumptions, the the, the lies basically that, that the idols that we have in our life, idols being anything that comes above Jesus, um, and we all have something that's central to our life, and what we believe is if you love Jesus, follow Jesus, then um, if anything comes above Jesus, then that is an idol. Um, and so we have been talking about these things, uh, sans last week, for a number of weeks now, and to be honest... I was planning on last week talking about relationships. We were in all the planning and kind of the mapping out of what dates and timelines and whatnot. And we got to the, to this Sunday, and I said, you know, the last thing I want to do, which is like the classic, typical thing to do, is, oh, it's Valentine's Day. Let's talk about relationships. Um, but here we are, all right? Um, so I want you to know, there's, there's, and let me tell you, the reason I didn't want to talk about it wasn't because I didn't want to, I didn't want to talk about it, but it's because I feel like whenever you talk about relationships on valentine's day right all the married people right you kind of like hold hands and like you know lace fingers like you're dating and like you're hoping you know ring by spring you know whatever it is for you um you're kind of like you know you you got pinkies they're interlocked and you're like babe and they're like babe you know and then so for those of you who like you don't have that person um you're like bro you know And you kind of are, are here thinking maybe, you know, what's this going to be? What's the trajectory? What's it going to look like? I already know. I'm very self-aware today that I don't have that person. But really the reason is, is because I was like, man, I don't want to rain on everybody's parade on Valentine's Day. Okay? So let me give you where we're going with this entire sermon. Okay? I'm going to tell you up front the bottom line, which is probably not a good idea to do because when I tell you the bottom line up front, it just kills all the tension in the talk. But I'm going to tell you anyways because some of you, if I don't tell you right now, you're going to go ahead and check out. Okay? So here's, here, here's the entire sermon. The person who you are with is supposed to be a compliment, not the fulfillment. But when the, fulfillment becomes the comp- but when the compliment becomes the fulfillment, you will always live with a void and a longing and a need deep down inside. Okay? So, whole sermon, you don't need a relationship. Okay? Let's pray. Just kidding. <clears throat> the reason I think relationships are difficult and a little bit tricky uh, is actually because of the fact that we were made in the image of God, right? We are the Imago Dei, made in the image of God. Um, and so if anything is going to have the tendency to take the place of God, it is going to be a relationship. Um, and those of you who uh, are married or have, you know, been with someone for a long time, um, you know this, that 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 person begins to become someone in your life that they replicate a lot of the things of God, the companionship, um, the, the dependence, the, the love, the affection on all those things. Things that, that, that trend towards a relationship, but you also know in every relationship there are hidden assumptions. Um, everyone in your first year of mirrors, you find out there are hidden assumptions. There are big hidden assumptions, and there are small hidden assumptions. There are the hidden assumptions that everybody's going to close their shower curtain right when they get out of the shower, and there are sho- assumptions that um, if you clean or if you cook, you don't have to clean, and if you clean, you don't have to cook, and if you wash, you don't have to fold, and if you wash and fold, then it makes sense that you would put it away, right? Because, you know, I don't want to finish your job for you. You've already done two-thirds of the work. Like, I'm not trying to step on your, you know, territory. And then there's bigger ones of how you're going to resolve conflict, how you're going to, to perhaps raise your kids, the amount of time that you're going to spend on your career, the amount of time that you're going to spend at home, how you're going to interface with one another, how you're going to interface with your parents, how you're going to face with your spouse's parents, like all of those things have to do with relationships. And we have assumptions around how we're going to deal with those, but more so we have assumptions about how relationships are going to make us feel. Um, for some of us, we want a relationship and look forward to a relationship simply because it validates us. So the assumption is, is if I am with someone, I now feel valid as a person. And some of it is, I not just feel valid, but I feel valued as a person. I feel like people value me, people, people value who I am as a person. And to be honest, in Christian culture, and I've become really aware of this recently, in Christian culture, we are terrible at perpetuating this. Right? for some of you, you're like you're single and you're in your mid twenties. You're in your mid thirties. Some of you're like I'm in my mid fifties. Okay, good for you, right? But but there's this terrible thing that happens in Christian culture, especially where it's where it's, you aren't significant enough, substantial enough, you aren't really kind of saved enough and sanctified enough until you have a spouse. And Paul would say, I disagree. But for a lot of us, the assumption behind a relationship. Is that when I find this person, they will in essence complete the half that I'm missing, the part that I'm missing. They will be a quote-unquote complement to me, but really I'm looking for for fulfillment from them. What we don't see, and what, what, what you know and I know, for those of you who are married, is some of us, we're living in the wake of that assumption. And by that I mean, you are in a consistent state of needing to be valued and validated by your spouse. And it's never enough. It's never enough. You're continually operating from a deficit because you looked for that, that value and that worth from somebody else. And, and the problem is, is, as long as I, we talked about this before, but as long as I need you, I don't really need you, I am loving myself through you, and you're never going to be able to fully love me in all the ways that I need to be loved and fulfilled. And you know what happens? Well... You find another one, and divorce happens, and remarriage happens, and divorce happens, and remarriage happens. And it's different for everybody and how it works, and it's different for everybody and how it looks. And for some of us, it doesn't end in quite to that extent. But, but there are very few people today, there are very few people that genuinely have happy marriages. There are marriages that survive. There are marriages that exist. But I mean that couple, and they're like 80, right? And they're walking down the park at Lake Ella, and they're holding hands, and you're like, oh, you know. Guys, we are probably not like, oh, you're like, I'm going to throw a rock at a duck, right? But, like, but, you're, but the girl says, oh, you're like, oh, yeah, same. It's like, I can't wait to hold pinkies when I'm 80. <clears throat> right? But, but that is, the reason that's so significant is because that is not the norm. That is not the standard. And what I find interesting is that our culture perpetuates this sense that I, I, am not enough, and I need you to complete me. I am not enough, and I need you to completely. I need you to basically redeem me, and we wouldn't put it in those terms, but without that person, we feel incomplete, and it's okay to want. It's okay to long. It's okay to look forward to, but one of the things I find fascinating is in the Bible, there's this story. There's this story that It's classic Bible where you you read, basically, and project into what you see of it. So some people, when you read this story, it's a a story in the book of Genesis. When you read this story, you look at it like, oh, my gosh, that was such a love story. I look at that, and I would say, oh, my gosh, that was so toxic and unhealthy. And hopefully you're going to be on my side by the time this whole thing's over with. It's a story about a guy uh, by the name of Jacob. So Jacob, um, you got to know Jacob's backstory because like anybody... The reason why we are who we are is because of a lot of the experience, kind of the cumulative effect of the experiences that we've had in life. So Jacob, um, Father Abraham, let's start off with him, was his his granddaddy. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had I am. And so are, thank you. All right, so all the people from Wildwood, you just showed up. I thank you for that. So Abraham had a son, Isaac. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. So Esau was the older, Jacob was the younger, but there was a prophecy that Jacob was actually going to be the one to take on and carry um, the promise of God that God had made to Abraham. Well, Isaac, the dad, wasn't a big fan of that, and so Isaac really loved his son Esau. I mean, Esau was was the guy. Esau was the dude. Esau was the man. And so Esau was his dad's favorite. Um, But Jacob, his mom really kind of, you know, clung to Jacob and so Jacob grew up with this sense of of resentment I think Jacob grew up with this sense of of not ever actually feeling the love from his father that he wanted to but Jacob at the very end of his father's life as his dad was about to give this blessing his dad um was going to give it to Esau was basically going to say I'm not going to do what God said I'm going to do what I want to do because I love my son Esau more than I love my son Jacob you think your family's unhealthy you know get on their level And so Esau, at the last minute, jumps in, steals his father's blessing. Jacob, or Jacob, I'm sorry, jumps in, steals his father's blessing. Esau gets so mad about this, Esau wants to kill Jacob. And so Jacob takes off and runs, leaves, is, is, is taken out of town. And so he can go to a different place. Um, and so he's going to this guy named um, Laban. Now, Laban was his mom's brother. So it was his uncle. There was kind of some family tree stuff happening at this point. But what you need to know is this. Jacob grew up with a deficit. Jacob grew up with a deficit. Jacob goes to this foreign place. He has no family and has never experienced the love of his father. Now, that is true in Jacob's life. Like for many of us, that might be true of your life. The reason why you are the way that you are and the reason why you are where you are is because of a lot of different things, a lot of different decisions, and many of them were not your decisions. Some of them were, but many of them weren't. And many of us look and long for that relationship because of the cumulative effect of decisions that have impacted us that other people have made. And this was certainly true of Jacob. So Jacob takes off. And Jacob goes to this well where he sees some sheep. And they're all about to water the sheep. And and they say, oh, you you know, these are the sheep. And he says, have you guys heard of Laban? And they say, oh, yeah, we've heard of Laban. You know, in fact, his daughter, Rachel, She's a, she's a shepherdess, so shout out, you know, ladies, queens, am I right? You know, and so, and so, you know, Rachel's about to show up on the scene. So where we drop in is Jacob, who, who's a pretty needy person, which we're going to see really quickly. Um, and Jacob is going to interface with, with Rachel. And This is a story of, of, of Jacob as he marries, well, we'll get to that. Let me start at verse 9, actually. So he was still talking with all the people who were shepherds. So while he was still speaking with them, verse nine, Rachel came with her father's sheep and now she was a shepherdess. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, because they wanted to clarify that one, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth that watered the flock. And so there was a stone in front. They're like, We can't water it because the stone's in the way, the sheep. And he says, You know, oh, Rachel's here. <laughs> your boy's been lifting, okay? And then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept out loud. I don't know how your first date went, okay? But, ladies, if this happens, if, like, 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 he, like, refills your water, you know, opens the door, and you're like, oh, my gosh, he's like, <laughs> you know, and he, like, kisses you and weeps like red flag, okay? <laughs> Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman. And that he was Rebekah's son, that's his mom. And she ran and told her father, she's going to tell him. And as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob's sister's son, he ran to meet him, embraced him, kissed him, brought him to his house. And so Jacob told him all these things. And Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. And so Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? In other words, you've been staying here for a month. So how much longer are you going to serve me? I I need to pay you something. Tell me, what shall shall your wages be? Now verse 16, now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. And the name of the younger was Rachel. And it contrasts these two in verse 17. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Now, I'm not like a, a Hebrew scholar by any means, but one of the things that's interesting about this is there's some debate about what it means by her eyes were weak. Some people say that like that just means she, was, she wasn't attractive. Some people say that she couldn't see. Some people say that, you know, she had some kind of like a, a lazy or a cross-eyed. Something was going on with, with, with Leah. And for whatever reason, Leah in this story is the older sister who is not very sought after. But Rachel is the younger sister in the thing that's interesting in, in the, the Hebrew is there's, there's some really racy stuff that we don't read. But basically how this reads is, And Rachel had a great figure, and she was beautiful. So <clears throat> Jacob's like, let me tell you about my lady. She had everything. I mean, she had it going on. And she was a shepherdess too, fellas. She got a job, Right? And it contrasts these two, Leah and Rachel. And so he knows that there's these two daughters. He says, okay, so here's Laban. Here's what my wages are going to be. Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Now, it was common to pay a price or to pay a premium or to pay some type of a dowry to be engaged. But Jacob looks at Rachel and says, seven years. This is like you're in the negotiation, and you're like, here's my number. My number's going to be like 100 bucks.' and they're like $1,000. you are like, sold. It's funny, because as I was thinking about this, there, there these, there's these things that just pop up. That they're they're irregular, because you can read this and be like, oh, my gosh, he loved her. He was willing to work seven years. Babe, would you work seven years for me? I don't know. <laughs> and here's why I say that. When your relationship or relationship with someone else is an idol, you almost always and inevitably are willing to sacrifice more than is healthy. You're almost always willing to sacrifice more than is healthy. This is why for some of you, you got in a relationship and it's just like the entire rest of the world. All your hopes, all your dreams, all your ambitions, all your friends, just gone. And sure there's sacrifice that's required. But for some of us, right, that, that's where we are, and that's where you are in marriage. Is that you look up, and you look at the monstrous amount that you've had to sacrifice. And every marriage requires sacrifice, absolutely. But there's a level of reasonable to this. There's a level of, of sufficiency to this that just as from, from a place of health. From a place of health, Jacob should look at it and say, ah, a year. You know, maybe two. That's eh, Six months. But he looks at her and says, man, I'm willing to sacrifice all of this. Relationships and I, are you willing to sacrifice more than you should? And so Laban said to her, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man, and so stay with me. Now here's thing number two. Notice, and if you know where this, this text is headed, um, basically Laban does a little switcheroo on the wedding night. We're going to get there, right? But here's what you need to know. Laban never said yes. Laban never said yes. Laban never said, okay, for this seven years, I will give you my daughter. He just said, yeah, well, I mean, it makes sense, I guess. Uh, better you than somebody else, I suppose. Here's why. When, lo- when, when, when love or a relationship is an idol, you're able to see things that aren't actually there. You're able to project things that you want to be true, that you hope to be true, but aren't actually true. Some of us, we look back at our, you know, relationship history, and that's what you see. And it drove you nuts because everybody else couldn't see it. But you could see it until what everybody else said was true. And it's because the nature of relationships are emotional. Relationships, we were made for connection. We were made for fulfillment. We were made, in essence, for one another. Right? God in the garden saw Adam. saw you know said it's not good for you to be alone. And so out of his rib you know he made Eve. He said, "Man for woman, woman for man." This is this is how I'm going to set things and push them in that direction. And as you go forward, there is supposed to be a helper. Is how the Bible describes it. But when that helper or that complement to who you are becomes the holistic fulfillment. You begin to project things into that compliment that aren't actually there. In other words, you see who you want that person to be, not who they are. And some of us, the reason that our marriage is difficult right now is because we got married banking on who we hoped our spouse would be, not who our spouse is. And I don't I try not to say that insensitively because let me tell you my spouse, Lindsay, has a lot to deal with me. I am constantly late. Like, like frustratingly, aggravatingly late. Not like super like time. Like I'm, I'm, i got a 10 to 15 minute window because I want it to seem like I'm important, but like not disrespectful. I don't clean up stuff. Ever, basically. I try. But I remember when we were, you know, engaged and had a conversation about stuff and basically like, hey, here here, here was our clarifying conversation. You're a lot easier to get along with than me. So I'm going to ask this to you because I already know my answer. If I never get better, and I'm going to try, I'm going to work, I'm going to do my best to continually become the best person that I can be and I, I believe that that's part of why God has put you in my life. But if I never change... Will you look forward to marrying me because you can't, you cannot look to me and who you want me to be and say, if you become that, then I'll be happy. I want you to be happy with me, not who with you hope be to be. Right, but we see that potential in somebody, and so we're willing to sacrifice more than we ought to sacrifice. We're willing to see things that aren't perhaps there, and so he continues on. So Laban said, "It's better to give her to you than I should give her to any other man." So stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because the love he had for her. We're thinking, "Oh, it's Valentine's Day." Like, bro, seven years. Like, that's, 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 that's more than half a decade. That's like, you know, seven-tenths of a decade. Saw that math? Like, seven years, that is a long time, and I don't care who you are. But here's the thing. It fed into the internal need that Jacob needed to be satiated and so he had this sense of infatuation for an extended period of time. Is it sweet? Kind of. Is it unhealthy? Absolutely. Because from Jacob's past, he had a void that he was looking to be filled. And perhaps Jacob's thought at this point was, look, nothing else has gone how I wanted it to go in life. My dad really didn't love me. My dad didn't really want a relationship with me. My mom kind of did. But then I lost my entire family, and now I'm in this foreign land with this foreign people. If I have her, maybe I'll be okay. So for seven years, he's working, looking, working, looking, waiting for that prize. So then Jacob, verse 21, said to Laban, Give me my wife, that I may go into her, for my time is completed. I'm not going to tell you what the Hebrew kind of says in that one, but you can guess. It is wildly graphic, especially for their day, for their age, for their culture. I mean, this was, this was absurd for him to say something like he just said, but he says, give me my wife. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob and he went into her. Let's say that again. He took Leah and brought her to Jacob, not Rachel. Verse 24, and so Laban gave his female servant Zilpha to his daughter Leah to be her servant. That's going to be important next chapter that we're not going to get to. It's a crazier story from there. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban said, it is not done, so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. So complete, this, complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. So 14 years later, he's finally debt-free and married to two wives, one of which he doesn't want to be. And it's interesting because we read this and we think, man, how could Jacob be so dumb? The answer is yes. How could Jacob be so dumb? Right? He was so, you know, needy. Some might say thirsty at this point in time. That the wedding night and he probably had too much to drink and they're, you know, kind of getting crazy. And it's dark because it's, you know, they don't have electricity. And so, you know, all of a sudden Leah comes in the room. She was, you know, you know heavily clothed. But also on the other side of that, besides just like the day of like. Like, Jacob, you worked for this guy Laban for seven years. You had to know he was shady at some point. Right? Like, you work for a boss. And your boss, like, you can tell, all right, I need to to make sure I get a paper trail on this one. Right? Because you know Buddy's got a history. But isn't this also true? You can see red flags in other people's path just like they can see it in yours but when you're involved in a relationship it's almost impossible to see in other words relationships when they are an idol they will cost you more than you thought you begin to see things that aren't there and you begin to miss red flags that are and you can see this in your friends. You can see this in the people who you're, you know, whether you're married or not married. I mean, you see kind of the problems in other people, but oftentimes it's difficult to see it in your own. And so Jacob decides, okay, I'm going to work for the next seven years, completes the week. So Jacob did so, completed the week, verse 28. And then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. Laban gave his, his female servant, Bila, to his daughter, Rachel, to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. Now, Leah, you got to think about Leah in this situation. I mean, she's, it's, life's got to be awful for her because Leah is the type of person that she, she knows the entire time. My younger sister, I, I get it. I mean, she's got it all. She's a shepherdess. She's got a job. Beautiful. And here I am, Leah. I can't even see straight. And not only that, but my dad, in order to get me married, because he knew it wasn't happening, my dad had to switcheroo on the wedding night, which I don't know how dad talked, him, talked her into it. She was like, I guess, yeah, dad, I mean, you're Laban, so I guess I'll listen. I don't, I, I don't know. I, I don't think my daughter would ever actually listen to me that much, but he, Laban perhaps is a better father, but not as good of a father. Anyways, and so... Then she gets married to a guy who she doesn't want to get married to, or who doesn't want to marry her. And she's now continually kind of the object and the subject of Jacob's disappointment. Let me tell you why this is important. Because to this point, a lot of what's happened... A lot of what's happened has been okay. So this is what happens before you get married, right? This is kind of the dating relationship. This is the lead up. This is the don't miss, you know, be, be conscious of, of what you're willing to sacrifice for this person because there is a sense which, which relationships take sacrifice, but in a healthy way, from a place of health, from a place of, of, of fullness, not of deficiency and void. There's a level to which you want to project into the person who they could be, not who they actually are. There's a level to which you can miss red flags. But for some of us, this is where we are. We're in a relationship, And it's wildly unfulfilling. Like you perhaps wake up every day and you feel like you're trapped because maybe you feel like you just married the wrong person. And all you can think about is for the rest of your life, for the rest of your life, you're with this person and it feels like a jail. And that's why I think the story of Leah is wildly important. Because Leah does what we all try to do. Which is when I'm not getting from you what I want from you, I'm going to double down on doing more to try to make you happy. Because if I can ever make you happy, perhaps you'll make me happy. Because at the end of the day, what's what's, what's true about all of this Is as long as I need you, I can't love you because I'm actually loving myself through you. And so Leah tries to make Jacob happy. And so when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Leah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Reuben, for she said, so this is her declaration to God for the naming of her son, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. Perhaps if I do this, I'll get this out of him. So verse 33, so she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also, and she called his name Simeon. And she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time, now this time, my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. In other words, perhaps God, finally, this will be the time that I have done enough for this guy that he will actually love me. But, by the way, Jacob didn't have the capacity to love her because of the fact that Jacob was also operating out of a deficit. So it functionally wasn't possible for Jacob to do that because Jacob was looking for his own needs to be satiated. Leah was looking for her own needs to be satiated. And this entire story, it, it continues to go back and forth in the next chapter, but Leah is the only one who makes real spiritual progress. One of the things I heard recently, I'm not going to go too long about this. I, heard, I was talking with our staff. You know, We are talking about what are the idols that happen and where does that come from? We start to get into discussion about relationships. Start saying there, they start telling me about this kind of this phrase that has, has happened. And it's basically I know that God has someone for me because I have so much love to give to so much. I just have so much to pour out. Let me tell you, if I need to pour out, that's a need. That's still a need. By the way, if you have a need to pour out, we've got a wonderful hope program. Lots of kids that need love. Thanks for someone who just snapped at that one. And I'm not saying that like in a mean or negative, it's fairly confrontational, but but here's the reality. It's because I love you and I don't want you, because what that really says at the basement of that is I need to pour out into someone else. Because perhaps if I pour out into them and I have that much love to give to pour out into another person, that person will reciprocate that love for me. And so marriage has become a toxic, oftentimes, circle of disappointment and resentment, and it starts small, and it builds over time, and resentment grows, and it 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 grows. Because the truth is, as long as I need you, not as a compliment, not as someone who makes me better, because do I need my wife? Let me just tell you, when we don't go to bed at the same time, I am an absolute Netflix degenerate, Okay? I want to tell you what time I went to bed last night. Three. This morning. I'm telling you, like, y'all are looking at me like that's ridiculous. Yeah, I drink coffee, okay? But, like, she's going to bed. She's like, I'm going to bed at 9. I'm like, man, that's way too early. But at the same time, uh, you know. But, right, she 100% makes me a better person. There's no question about it. But I really hope and I pray that she doesn't, and in fact, I know she doesn't need me. She loves me. She cares about me, but she doesn't need me. If I died tomorrow, she would be heartbroken, and from our life insurance, she would be wealthy, right? (laughs) But here's what I know to be true. She would survive. She would be okay. I mean, it would be devastating, unwell, of course. But one of the things that I love about her so much is that she doesn't need me. So that she can actually love me, and I, her. And it doesn't come from a sense that all of a sudden I decide, man, I' just going to decide I don't need this person anymore. This is what Leah comes to the realization of. and she's going to struggle with this through the next chapter, but this is what Leah comes to the realization of after the birth of the last child. Verse 35. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. And she ceased to bear children. She says, This time it's not about my husband. This time it's not even about my kids. In fact, to be fair with parenting, Part of the reason we can be unhealthy as parents is because we're looking to have our needs met in our children that perhaps our spouse doesn't meet. One of the best ways to be a great parent is to be a great spouse. Because again, as long as I need from my children, I'm not actually loving my children. And so she looks and says, You know what? This isn't about people. This isn't about my husband. This isn't about my children. This is about God. God, I am making a decision that I'm going to praise you instead. Because here's the reality. Going back to what we talked about at first. The cultural narrative is to say that I'm not good enough. I need you to complete me. And so what we then often say is, so instead of that, the biblical narrative is, is I am good enough. I am sufficient enough. And so I need this person to compliment me. That's also false. Because Paul clearly states in Romans 3, for all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. The truth of the gospel is I am not good enough. The base premise is absolutely true. I am sinful. I am depraved. At the core of who I am, there is sin, there is destruction, and I am in rebellion in my natural state against God. But God saw me, God loved me, God gave his son to die for me, and because of who I am in Jesus, because of his sufficiency, I am complete. Not because I am complete, but because Jesus is the one who ultimately fulfills me, sustains me, he satiates every need. I know that I am loved because he died for me. I know that I am valuable because, again, how you determine the value of something is what you're willing to pay. And if God would give His own Son, if His Son would be the payment for my salvation, how valuable am I and how valuable are you? Some of you just need to hear you're valuable, you're loved, and wait till about five years after college to get married, okay? I'm giving you permission. I think it's the wisest thing. You're like 22. You're like, oh, but we're in love. It's like, yeah, but your prefrontal cortex has three years before it's even developed at this point. You're not even sure your long-term judgment and your decision-making. Different sermon, different day. I don't have time. But here's the reality. I want you to have incredible, incredible relationships. I want you to have incredible friendships. I want you to have incredible marriages. I want you to have incredible children, if that's what God so has for you. Because for some of you it is, for some of you it's not. But I want you, no matter what God has for you, to realize that that compliment was never meant to be the fulfillment. That the fulfillment is always and only in Jesus. And as long as we look to anything else besides Jesus, we will constantly and continually be a disappointing void of someone who is looking for other people to solve my needs. So here's what some of us need to do. Some of us need to decide from here on out, I'm going to spend time with Jesus every day because if I'm going to have my means net in Jesus, I'm going to spend time with Jesus. Some of you need to decide that you've been operating out of a relational void and so for the next year, you're going to take a year off dating. If you're married, don't take a year off your marriage. But you need to hit the reset button. Hit the restart button. It's so Valentine's Day, 2022. You're going to be able to enter back into that pool. And let me tell you, about Easter, you're going to see somebody and be like, oh, God, is this my Boaz, right? Like, is this my Rachel? Or is it Leah? You know, God, I think this is the person, right? I want you so deeply and desperately to have wonderful relationships. But the idol of a relationship that drives worth, validation, companionship is so easy to be pulled into and so difficult in the mirror that we all need to spend some time evaluating and saying, man, God, you are my fulfillment. I am insufficient. I do need wholeness. I do need completeness. And the Jesus that only and ultimately comes from you. Help me to see that. By spending time with you, Help me to see that. By spending time in your word, help me to see that. By spending time in prayer, help me to see that. By the fact that I have perpetually and continually looked for that in another girl or another guy or another person, help me to take a break and get that only and solely from you, Jesus. So I'm praying that God gives you the wisdom to know where you are in all of that. The courage to admit it and ultimately the wisdom to be dependent on Christ alone. Let's pray. God, I thank you that there's grace in this. There's grace in this for those of us who are in the spot of Jacob, who because of our background and our upbringing, we just have these voids and these deficiencies, and we each have a tendency, a perpetual tendency to look for and to long for that, to be fulfilled by somebody else. Help us. Help us. To get that, see that, know that, understand that from you. To feel the companionship when we spend time with you every single day. To get the, the love and the validation and the worth and the value when we realized how valued we are by you. Not because we're valuable, because your love is so overwhelming. I pray that you will spring up groups of relationships, groups of friendships, groups of dating relationships, groups of marriage Kids, children, grandchildren, that they will be a lasting effect as people, as we, claim ultimate dependence on you. We refuse to let the compliment be the fulfillment, but that the fulfillment is ultimately in you, Jesus. Give us the wisdom to know where we are and the courage to look only to you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.